Sam and Dennis at the mic. Oh my goodness. Here we Arms are. Arms wide What's open. Up, everybody. <laughs> I'm sorry, you were doing a bit and I completely ruined it. No, 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 no. I did not warn you that I was doing a bit, so you reacted appropriately. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Hello, man. Um, how are you? I'm good. I'm yeah. good. It's been a couple weeks since we recorded. Um, I figured we would start off. Um, we started off last recording with, with house updates. We haven't talked about this yeah. any, any before since we jumped on the call a few minutes ago. Uh, any, any updates on your end? The last time we talked, you were starting the process of maybe listing your place. Yeah. So we have uh, kind of stepped things up a bit. Um, there's been some, some packing that's taken place, you know, some decluttering. Uh, which I feel like the decluttering has been perpetual for a year now. You know, we got locked down in pandemic and it was just sort of like, it's one thing to, to have a lot of stuff and you, you come home to it after a you know, day at the office and, and then, you know, you just kind of do your thing and you don't really think about it that much. But when you're sitting in it, like every day, all the time, you just start to realize, you think to yourself, do I really need this? Do I really? So we've done a lot of decluttering over the past year, but there's still, there's still some to do. So we've done that. We've packed some things, moved some things into storage, and, uh, you know, there's still some work to be done, I think, before we're really ready to, you know, to to sell. But we've also, per your suggestion, started to look into, like, bridge loans and the potential of finding a place first and just moving. And then, like, once we're out, it would be so much easier to just say, like, okay, you know, painters, go in and paint. Uh, you know, okay, people go in and look, you know, give us an offer or whatever. So I think we're, we're actually sort of shifting slightly to that being the more appealing idea than trying to sell this place and buy a place almost like simultaneously. I think that's a great idea. Cause we didn't talk about it last time. There's even like dealing with showings with, with Hattie. Right. Yeah. Uh, we, um, <clears throat> yeah, similarly on our end, we don't own our current place. We are renting, but. That's about to change, but I'll tell you more about that later. Uh, we live in a two-flat, and they are getting ready to sell it. So uh, they are taking photos tomorrow. And Betsy and I are we're, we're kind of of two minds. Like, Betsy is like, we must have the place spick and span for tomorrow. And I'm like, eh, look decent. <laughs> right. It's not our place, and we're not selling it to people who want to, like, envision themselves living here. Like, we're selling this, they're selling this place to investors. Sure. We don't have to look like spick and span, like the you know the the American dream home, right? Just yeah, just look nice enough, show the bones, and yeah. Because they're probably going to try to change everything about it anyway. So you know. So yeah. Um, so we're on that front. On the place that we're buying in Southern Illinois, finally got the appraisal squared away. Just Friday. This past Friday, wow. we're recording on Monday. Long story short of it, uh, we had offered 10000 over asking because uh, we were trying to beat out any potential other offers. The yep. appraisal came in at asking price. Mm. Asked them to reconsider, the appraiser to reconsider. Um, our realtor sent a couple of comps over. Did not change the thing. Came in at asking price. We're like, ah, crap. Because uh, the, the 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 story of it, if you're if you're buying a, a place on a mortgage, if it underappraises, you and the seller have to find some kind of common ground 
between the asking price and what it appraised for because the lender will not give out a loan for anything more than what it appraised for. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, totally. Totally. So we had a $10,000 gap, but we went back to the sellers and we're just like, Hey, uh, we offered 10,000 over asking to beat out other offers. There turned out being no other offers and it appraised at asking just, just do the right thing and give it to it as a, give it to it as at asking price. Yeah. And lo and behold, after four hours, that's what they did. Yes, that's awesome. That's so, yes. great to hear. So yeah. Uh so now we're getting we're getting that squared away now. So I like it. I it like was it that. was a relief because for like two days Betsy and I were back looking on Zillow. Going, oh, yeah, oh sure. crap. We're gonna have to order. So you are are you uh are you already window shopping on Zillow? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've been doing that now for, you know, probably a couple months, honestly. And we really started in earnest, you know, just within the past few days. And we found a couple of places that we really, really, really like. We've got one place in particular um, that, that you know, pending a couple of things that, that we're looking into this week that we might seriously consider just going for um, and, and seeing what happens uh, if it's, you know, if it's still available. Uh, but um uh, we're, we're, you know, we've been a little tentative about it because we do know things are, are tending to go very fast. So we don't want to necessarily find something and, you know, fall in love and think this is the best house ever. And then of course, you know, wait a few days and be like, okay, now we're ready to move and it's gone. And then we're just back looking again. So I think what, you know, what we're going to try to do is, um, you know, she's, she's talking with the bank cause you know, she works at the bank, uh, and, uh, just kind of getting all those ducks in a row. And once that's all done, then we'll be ready to actually be in a position where we can literally just say like, Oh yes, you know, here's our offer or whatever. So, um, but it, it's also helped us a lot, the, like the window shopping that we've done to narrow down specific locations. Um, so we're looking, you know, kind of West slash Northwest suburbs, yep. uh, at this particular point. And uh, we've been able to find some really, really nice stuff, which is great because uh, I remember when when we first looked, a, you know, a couple of months ago, it was it was difficult to find things that were, you know, what what we were looking for. But I think in a way, you know, the funny thing is, is as the market, the housing market has, you know, been riding this high, I think there are more and more people that have decided to maybe sell. And so it's it's given the opportunity now for there are more places on the market and it's just a question of like finding the right one. Um, so, you know, and Hey, it's also fun to look at those $17 million homes that are on Zillow as well, just for the hell of it. So. I know. Have you, uh, this was a couple of months ago when Dan Levy guest hosted on SNL. Did you see the, uh, the Zillow commercial that they had? No, I didn't. Um, I'm not even going to try to do it justice. Just later on, go look up the, the SNL Zillow okay. sketch. Uh, I will, which included Dan Levy. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this week we were talking about what we're going to talk about this week. Um, I know you, you you know, right before, right before we do actually, I'm sorry. I I do want to say, you know, we got a couple of really lovely responses, uh, to, to last week's episode. And I commented, you know, on the episode a couple of times that I was a little nervous about releasing an episode like that because it was so different from what we normally do. And it was, it was fairly personal. And even though we've had personal conversations before, even some very emotional ones, uh, in the context of like the quantum leap episodes that we might've been talking about, this was the first time that we ever really just kind of eschewed any kind of pop culture entertainment for the most part and spoke about 
you know, just us and, and, and what was up in our lives with a couple of things thrown in, obviously, per, you know, listener questions. But it was just really nice to know that, you know, that to have the freedom to do an episode like that. Uh, and and so I'm, I'm appreciative of, of, of the comments and, and I'm appreciative of you, you know, you kind too. Of, Yes. Opening the door and, and, and pushing us and saying, like, let's just do it. Let's you know? just see what happens. Well, thank you. Yes. And uh, yes, thank you, listeners, for those those very nice comments. Um, and it was um, nice. Oh, um, I'll come back to it later. I can't remember who suggested it right now. But uh, someone had a really good suggestion for a future episode. Um, but yeah, remind me. And we'll come back to that that later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you said when we were texting back and forth that you haven't been watching a whole lot new lately. I have not been watching a whole lot new lately. We, we, uh, we watched a couple more episodes of the man in the high castle. That's just, mm-hmm. that's just a dark show. And it just, yeah. it just, it, 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 I mean, the, the end of the last episode we watched, we watched, you know, a mother and two kids get gassed and, Oof. um, yeah, those, you know, yeah, it's it's a rough show. I, uh, uh, I I wasn't entirely truthful, mainly because I guess I had blocked it from my memory. But I did. Jessica and I watched Little Fires Everywhere on Hulu, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it was not good. Uh, <laughs> I wanted it to be good. Sure, I like so many of the people involved with the show, and I think I did have somewhat high expectations, but but tempered because I knew just based off of, you know, what I had heard that it wasn't, you know, yes, it had Reese Witherspoon's name attached to it. Yes. It was based on a popular book. No, it was not in the same caliber as big little lies, which I loved. I, I, I just absolutely adored big little lies. I thought it was fantastic. Um, so I knew that this wasn't that, but I also still had, you know, decent expectations because, you know, you've got Reese Witherspoon, you've got Kerry Washington, you, you know, you've got a great cast right there, just the two of them. And then the first episode in particular, I thought was good and set things up well um, and had me looking forward to what was next. But somewhere around like midway point of the second episode, I started to just feel like, oh, this isn't good. Like this is this is not a good show. And and the script isn't really that great, and something was wrong with the direction. And it start what it started to feel like is it started to feel like more so than Big Little Lies, which never felt this way honestly to me. It started to feel a bit like a vanity project, and not even so much for Reese Witherspoon, although at times yes, but especially for Carrie Washington. And I feel really weird saying that. But it was it. There were just things that were happening, and and the way that certain things were constructed, that I I I could not get over the fact that like this show is not doing what it thinks it's doing, and what it is doing, it's not doing well. So I kind of had to hate watch the last couple of episodes just so I could get through the whole ah. thing. Uh, yeah, and it, yeah, and it was one of those shows that you watch and you're just sort of like, wow, there aren't any good people in this at all. Like everybody's horrible. And, and it said, it made statements that I don't think it intended to make about like adoption and infidelity, uh, and you know, sexual politics. And it's set in the nineties, which is kind of interesting, but it didn't take full advantage of that. Sometimes it, yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. Overall. Yeah, it was, it was not great. And, and, and I, oh, and of course the big thing is it thought it was making statements about race that it really didn't make well either. Uh, so it just, it, it felt very, yeah, 
it felt like one of those things that one of those projects that I'm kind of like, well, I guess I'm glad I watched it. So I know, but had it never been made, that would have been okay too. <laughs> what, what damning faint? I don't know. Yes. What? Uh, yeah. Ah, uh, well, I'm sorry that you had that experience. Now, you know, uh, I do. And it's important to watch things you don't like sometimes and deconstruct why you don't like them. Maybe a worthwhile podcast out there. Right. And I would not be surprised if this pod, I would be surprised if this podcast does not exist. The hate watch. Right. <laughs> Where every episode you just watch a movie or an episode of a TV show that you hate and you deconstruct why you hate it. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. We, uh, the only thing really new, I think I've started watching, um, I'm a half hour into army of the dead. Oh, okay. Which is the new uh, Zack Snyder Netflix zombie movie, uh, yep. which has gotten uh, a lot of attention because uh, Tig Notaro replaced an actor in that movie who got hit with some sexual assault allegations, and they inserted her in the movie entirely with green screen and special effects. Oh, wow. And so she never actually shot with any of the rest of the crew. It was all done after the fact, and apparently... Uh, I haven't got to, to her part in the movie yet, but apparently if you didn't know, you wouldn't know. Wow. So um, so I'm interested in seeing that. that That's being said, really cool. The, the last couple of weeks with us being really busy and everything, I've just been indulging in some some old old comfort food, Star Trek, Next Generation. In particular, season five. Yeah, man. I would argue... Season four, season five, and season six are peak Star Trek. Absolutely. Of all of the Star Treks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I still, you know, I'm still a, a you know, a niner. Uh, and I and I just, I, I love DS9 so much. But that said, uh, I think, you know, seasons four, five, and six of Next Gen are absolutely what made me fall in love with the Star Trek franchise. Um, and, uh, had it not been, you know, I mean, I was watching next gen before DS nine premiered and had it not been for, you know, next gen and in particular, the best of both worlds. I mean, that was what kind of drew me in. I'd seen a few episodes here and there prior to that, um, by way of my grandfather, but, uh, I, I can remember seeing best of both worlds and I got, you know, I, I just immediately, I was like, Oh, okay, this is awesome. I want to know more. And so I would watch whenever I could. And of course, because of syndication, it was one of those things where it was like a new episode was only on once a week, but you could usually find a repeat on, you know, five nights a week. So sure. <laughs> it, was, it was easy. To, it was easy to watch. Yeah. So I started off, um, I didn't mean to, to do like a binge. I just started off. I was just, uh, wanted to go back and watch Darmok, which is a mm. uh, season, uh, episode two of season five. And then before I knew it, I was just binging my way through most of season five. And it's just like great uh, Darmok, Ensign Rowe. I, I, I think it was because Michelle Forbes didn't want to stick to doing television. Any episode with, with Ensign Rowe in it is just awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she's brought so much. Uh, Ensign Rowe, Silicon Avatar. That's where they go back and revisit the, the Crystalline entity. Um, disaster, the game. I skipped over unification oh. one, two, one and two, blah blah blah. Uh, all those ca- oh, the game, yeah, cause and effect. The game. Oh, what a what a great what a great metaphor for social media before before we even right? had social media. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And, 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 and as, as a, as, you know, as a, you know, as a young boy, I mean, Ashley Judd was just everything in that episode. So <laughs> was she in one or two? Um, I think she, I think she was just in that one episode. No, she was in more than that. Okay. Um, she was definitely in more, I think she might've only been in two. Um, but she was in, she was in more than that. She, because the character, the funny thing is, is that the other, uh, episodes that she's in, she barely has any lines. That's she it. was okay. in Darmok. She was in Darmok. Yeah. Okay. But she, but she, she doesn't really have any lines. I think she says like, uh, you know, I, I captain and I'll get on that Jordy, you know, that sort of thing. That's it. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Conundrum, which I think I've said before, Conundrum was one of my very first episodes of Star Trek, and that's a weird <laughs> episode of Star Trek to come in on because that's the one yeah. where they all get hit by an alien beam and they have amnesia, but Macduff has been inserted into the uh, into the crew, right? And uh, Ethics, who who boy, Ethics? I had not yeah. watched I had not watched that one since. I was a kid, and honestly, I found it boring. I'm not even sure if I've ever made it all the way through. Mm. Uh, Ethics is the one where Worf has an accident, and he's paralyzed from the waist down. At first, he considers ending his life through Klingon ritual, ask Riker to help him. Riker refuses. Um, points out that actually by Klingon ritual that the oldest son would have to help with the suicide, which would fall on Alexander. And eventually... Um, Worf decides to undergo a very experimental surgery to save his life. Uh, the surgeon, the, the doctor is played by, I can't remember her name, but she's Thelma from, from Quantum Leap. She's the mom. Mm. Um, I can't remember the actor's name off the top of my head, so she comes in. But the thing that got me, and it like gutted me, like I was just gutted one Sunday afternoon after I watched this episode, because yeah. I don't know how long it's been since you watched the episode. Um, like there, there's a whole sequence while Worf is in surgery. They cut away to Riker and Picard trying to distract themselves with working and it clearly not succeeding. Yeah. They cut away to Troy sitting with Alexander in the waiting room, waiting to get word. And they just go back and forth between this and then the surgery actually happen. And I love Star Trek, but Star Trek is usually not known for nuance. Right, right. And subtlety. But this, that entire sequence was so utterly well played and well done. And then uh, Worf dies on the operating table. And so they go in and, and, and Dr. Crusher breaks the news to Alexander. And then Alexander goes in to see Worf. And then, of course... So I think he has another heart. He has something else going on. There's a thing earlier in the episode about how Klingons have redundant organs in case another one fails. And the, the one doctor, she kind of mocks that as not, as it being unnecessary, but then it turns out that's what saves his life because after being dead for a few minutes, the other heart kicks in and saves his life. Um, but yeah, all of that, especially everything involving like Alexander, like waiting outside for the surgery. Won't get into it because of like personal stuff with with both of my parents. Whoo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that whole sequence. I had to go. Yeah. Ta- I had to go take a depression nap after that one. That was <laughs> that was a rough one. Yeah, I can remember that episode pretty clearly. Uh, you know, watching it probably around the time that it originally aired. I mean, obviously they didn't have 
you know, strict air dates because of the syndication. Some, you know, sometimes it would air on a Saturday, sometimes it would air on a Sunday, you know, whatever. But, uh, uh, I can remember watching that, you know, probably around the time that it aired, uh, and being really, you know, even, even as, cause I would have been what, like 13, I think maybe 12. No, younger than that. Well, it doesn't matter. Anyway, point is, uh, I can remember watching it and, and, you know, even, even as a youngster, um, you know, being pretty intrigued by, I mean, Worf was my favorite character when I was a kid. So that made it very easy for me to be, feel invested in it. Um, you know, and, and at that time being oblivious enough to the idea that they would just reset everything at the end and there was no way they were going to kill off a character like that, that being kind of, you know, initially worried and, and concerned that something, you know, horrible was going to happen or, or whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I can I can definitely remember that episode. And it's funny, you know, I, I should mention when, when you posed the idea uh, initially, you, you know, it was like, hey, I've been you know binging Star Trek season five. I think I want to talk a little bit about that and leaving the door open for me to kind of talk about my own thing, which I sort of ended up doing anyway, I guess, with little fires everywhere. But I, I immediately was like, oh dude, I can talk about Star Trek season five with you. You know, I, I haven't been, I haven't watched most of these episodes in over a year at least, but you know, I can definitely, I can, I can talk some season five. Yeah. Such good episodes. The, yeah. The outcast. That was one immediately after ethics. The outcast. That's the one yeah. where, uh, Riker falls in love with, um, a person from an androgynous race, the Janai. And it's a great example of an episode trying, trying to say something. Kind of falling short. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I, I genuinely feel that it's an episode that, compared with you know our contemporary media and the way that we've explored uh, gender identity and sexuality, uh, I think you know sexual orientation. I think that uh, it would seem quaint at best. And, you know, maybe even, you know, somewhat offensive at worst. Um, but for its time, for, you know, for a 1992 piece of syndicated science fiction media, part of this franchise, I think it acquits itself pretty well. And, and, and there are certainly moments in it where Jerry Taylor, the, you know, the, the, the writer, uh, inserts some dialogue that, like the best pieces of Star Trek and science fiction, the dialogue itself, if you were to put it into someone's mouth today, would still land, even if the context would be different. And and I think, you know, the idea of like, you know, conversion therapy and, you know, gender identity especially, I think that the funny kind of thing about that is that the episode was written, you know, with homosexuality in mind. And yet it speaks much more to, uh, you know, to trans rights sure. and gender identity in today's context than it, than it ever would to, you know, to anything having to do with, you know, uh, sort of a homosexuality or, or, or sexual orientation. Yeah. As I was watching that, I thought of that. It's like, I, I'm not even sure where the conversation was around transgender issues. In the early nineties, I mean, if there, you know, really any, yeah. con- really any conversation at all. Um, but just reading some, you know, critiques and stuff after the episode, uh, after watching the episode, how they kind of 
undercut themselves in the production of it. And maybe some they say like the script was better than the execution. They kind of mm. undercut undercut themselves in the production by it's an androgynous race, but clearly everybody in the in the Jedi race was played by women. Right. Like they may have had some background characters who were male, but they were all played by women. And they had you know the 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 main one who I can't remember their name right now. Um played by a woman, the one that Riker falls in love with. And even at the time, uh, apparently uh, uh, Jonathan Frakes was very critical of the decision uh, to have a woman play that role, and he thought it would have been much more powerful if they actually had a man play that role. Yeah. And that would have been much more, that would have been much more interesting. Um, it would have been interesting to see how, how people had reacted to it. Even, yeah. even enlightened I don't want to say woke, but you know what I mean. Even uh, enlightened individuals, right. how they how they may have responded to it, or if it it would have even gotten past like producers. Or, I mean, they were in syndication, so there was no network to get by. But you know, the powers yeah. that be. Yeah, I, you know, I was reading because I, I I wanted to brush up a little bit um, on you know the specific episodes that you had kind of named, uh, and this being one of them. Uh, you know, I did a little reading as well, and. It is interesting to, it, it's like, it's one of those things where there are clearly people involved with this show that want to go there and have no problem exploring that and asking, you know, questions that uh, certainly at the time would have been very difficult to uh, ask, much less present on television. But I also think that if you read some of the comments that were made by people like, you know, Michael Pillar, for instance, that it's clear that the that the that the thought process and the conversation that was happening around these issues in 1992 is vastly different from what it is now. Rightfully so, I mean, as it should be, but uh, in some ways, I suppose. But it is it it is one of those things where you use the word enlightened that in some cases these people aren't as enlightened as they think they might be. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like as you as I'm reading some of these interviews, I'm just sort of like, eh, okay, you know, that's that's. I, I see where you're coming from. Kudos to you for wanting to try this, but don't pat yourself on the back too hard because, you know, some of the stuff you're saying is 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 not quite not quite right. Uh, it kind of makes it kind of makes you wonder. Thirty years from now, what are they going to say right? about us? Yeah, yeah. You know? I, you know, it's funny because I had uh, Jessica and I had a conversation. This is before Hattie was born, but I but I do believe Jessica was pregnant with Hattie, and we. I, you know, I have, I, admittedly, I have, um, over the past, like, you know, eight years, I would say in particular, I feel like, uh, I have tried to, you know, keep myself open because one thing that I realized is when I was initially, you know, really starting to kind of learn about, um, gender identity and gender diversity, it was very difficult for me because it had always been phrased as a joke. I can remember, you know, even even in you know a, a, the the actor community in Indianapolis, there was an actor in the community who moved away uh, to California, and you know she when she had left, she had been male presenting, and when she returned you know, she was no longer that. And there were a number of people who I worked with that, you know, behind her back, obviously made fun of it. And 
at the time I felt like I didn't quite, you know, get it. And it took, you know, it, it, it took some time to really kind of figure it all out. And I, I'll never forget, I, I auditioned for a show um, when I was still in college. And uh, I actually got the part and I ended up having to turn it down because of scheduling conflicts. But the show was called The Home Team. And it was about a uh, young man who's coming back from college with his girlfriend and finds out that, uh, you know, his girlfriend um, has had gender reassignment surgery. And, uh, you know, and this would have been like 2002, 2003. And uh, the... You know, through the course of the play, obviously, he has a lot of difficulty with this, and one of his brothers in particular is very bigoted towards her, and by the end of the play, you know, he he says that he doesn't care, you know, that, that he loves her, and that's all that matters, and that kind of actually brought about this conversation that Jessica and I had a few years ago, where ultimately, I felt like it, it you know, it's still, for a lot of people, it still matters, you know, it would matter if their partner had been assigned a different gender at birth than the gender that they presented to them when they got together. And I feel like with 30 years from now, my hope would be that, you know, those lines would just be completely broken down and that it doesn't matter, you know, if if someone, uh, you know, presents as male or female or you know, whatever the case may be, what matters is that you just love another person. It's one of the reasons why I think I've always loved Brokeback Mountain, because I feel like to call, um, you know, like with Jake Gyllenhaal's character, I think that, you know, you could, you could call him gay, but I feel like the beautiful thing about Heath Ledger's character is, is that Heath Ledger's character, I don't necessarily know that you could identify as gay. I feel like instead he fell in love with Jack. And that, to me, is almost more powerful than labeling that character as homosexual. And, 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 and I think that in a way that it's like stripping away some of these, you know, these rigid definitions will hopefully lead us to something that, you know, that allows people to just to just love and not have to prescribe themselves to any one particular, you know, lifestyle or, 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 or you know, whatever. Absolutely. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I mean, yeah, it's something that, that I think about a lot in that, like, if you truly do believe that the gender binary does not exist and that is entirely a social construct, if you are truly on board with that, and I am, um, like, you can't assume that anybody that you meet is cisgender. And how they present. Right. And I don't, um, and, and I say this because so many people on the left, they throw around the term cisgender. And it's obvious, like, you assume that anybody who presents as they present and they don't, like, outwardly show, like, any kind of, you know, different kind, you know, they're not putting anything else out there. You and me immediately assume that a lot of people are cisgender. And if you really believe the gender nine, the gender non-binary is not a thing. You can't call any individual person cisgender unless you specifically know that that's how they, de- they identify. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. I don't know if I'm art- articulating myself very well. Um, well, I don't know if I articulated myself very well either. But. You, you, you articulated <laughs> yourself great. I just, <clears throat> um, when I see people on the left try to make the point and they throw the cisgender around 
as a generalization, that sure. bugs me. Because like I said, if you right. believe that ge- the gender binary is not a thing, unless someone specifically tells you that they identify as a man or a woman, you don't know what they are. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. It, there's, there's, I think that that is, um, not only is that an extremely valid point, but it, I think it kind of goes hand in hand with what I was talking about too, is the idea that instead of making those, you know, making those judgments, um, that a, that those judgments will matter less and less, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, obviously they matter to one's own personal identity, but I'm talking about, you know, in, in that larger, you know, sociopolitical sphere that it doesn't necessarily, it shouldn't matter one way or the other. Yeah. And, and so you're right, like to, to basically, you know, misidentify someone, um, just because of the way that, that they're presenting or whatnot is, you know, it, it doesn't matter if, if they're cisgender or non-binary, it doesn't matter at all because what matters is, you know, what their identity is. And you're not respecting that if you're just throwing around those blanket statements to begin with. So it, it you know, it is, it is about individuality and it is about re- recognizing and respecting the person. And it's the reason why I, I, I'm such a huge fan of like they, them pronouns. Sure. Because I think that, you know, I think that using those more often than just assuming that someone is, you know, he, to me is much, much better um, than, you know, than just going with what, uh, the social construct has taught us. And yeah, that's something <clears throat> that I am trying to do in my own language. Like when I refer to someone, mm-hmm. like, unless I absolutely know that's how I, they, they identify, I throw out they, them, or if I'm yeah. just speaking as a general person, I will try to say they, them. Oh, by the way, saw this great joke on TikTok the other day. How does a non-binary ninja kill another non-binary ninja? Oh no! I have no idea how. We've just we've we've just said it like five times in the last two minutes. They slash them. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Good night, folks. It doesn't get better than that. Thank you. Wow. We wow. are. That's wow. All right. We are face wide <laughs> wheel. There we go. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, but, you know, oh, go, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say real quick. That's, that's the great thing about this episode, though, is here we are almost 30 years later and you and I are able to have this conversation. And I think that that's the reason why, you know, something like season five really does hit on all cylinders, because there are so many episodes throughout the season that, you know, even taken out of the context in which they were written or, or you know, the, the, the presentation of the episode itself, there's still something worth talking about now and, and applying to, to today. And I think that that's just a hallmark of, you know, of great art, but in particular, you know, we're talking about science fiction and genre fiction. I think that that's what makes, you know, Star Trek and Star Trek, the next generation specifically. So, so great. Yeah. And this season is indicative of that. Now to bring it, uh, now to bring it up to Star Trek in modern day, have you been following the latest episode of discovery or the latest season of discovery and in the introduction of a non-binary character? Unfortunately not. Um, I, you know, I have CBS All Access, um, but I, I am not current on Discovery, uh, sadly. Uh, let me let me pull up their um, let me pull up their information here. Or, yeah. maybe, or maybe we'll drop a link in later. Soon. But the, the the thing I love about it is that they introduced this character and they didn't address their gender at all. But then in one scene, somebody refers to her. 
or somebody refers to them, I'm sorry, somebody refers to them as a she. Mm. Um, and an open conversation, and then everybody else leaves the room, and it's Adam Rapp's character. I can't remember his character's name right now. Stamets. Uh, Stamets, yeah. It, it's Stamets and them, they're just left, and they correct him, and they say, they. Mm. I've never mm. felt like a girl. They. And it was interesting, because I, re- I, I saw so much analysis and critique of it online and a lot of the, the, the toxic fanboys were talking about how, how bad it was because they were scolding Stamets after the fact. And it was so heavy handed. And then I went and actually watched it and like, no, they weren't scolding Stamets. They were almost apologetic. They were just clarifying mm. very simply. They, I've never felt like a girl. Or whatever yeah. it, it, the the line was something to that effect, and that just speaks to I mean, uh, like you said, how great Star Trek is at addressing the uh, what is going on at the time. Um, yeah, because you know, because Betsy and I were talking, she caught a little bit of the Outcast episode with me, and we're talking like you know, in four hundred years from now, gender, you know, like you said, gender is not going to be a thing. Right. You know, it's all, we're all going to, you know, everything's going to blend together a lot more easily. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And that doesn't, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that there still won't be people that, that hold on to some sort of like male identity or female identity. Oh, sure. But I do think that it will, you know, it it will, it will matter uh, less in some ways. Uh, I, I think that it, yeah, I think that there will be more fluidity and I think that there will be, you know, a lot more, a lot more acceptance. Yeah. Um, the, the Rikers of the world, they're going to be, they're going to be even more free loving. Uh, speaking of the perfect mate. Oh God. Do you, do you remember that episode? Yeah. Oh, that is, oh, that it was, uh, I want to look this up. I, you know, one critique I saw at one time is like, just given the premise of like uh, a woman who is who is born and bred just to be the perfect mate for someone else to take on the personality, the sexual proclivities, whatever of the other person. Who do you think wrote this episode? A man or a woman? Uh, a man. <laughs> uh, but I don't remember this. It's uh, this may be the only time in Star Trek history. Correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, where uh, where basically someone lets someone else know that if they need them, they are going to be masturbating. Do you remember this? <laughs> Do you remember this scene? I really don't, actually. <laughs> um, so it, it's early in the episode. Uh, Riker escorts. Uh, what What is her character's name? I am so horrible with characters uh, names. I am sorry, y'all. Um, uh, Kamala. Yeah. Um, um, escorts Kamala to her room. She comes on to him because, you know, she explains like she is, she is at a point right now. She's like, she is in her awakening where she's giving off all kinds of pheromones where like, basically right now she is in the phase of her development where she just wants to, and is willing to have sex with any man. So she comes on to Riker in her quarters. They have a couple of deep kisses. Riker backs out. He excuses himself and he clearly, he pages the bridge and he says, Riker to the bridge, if you need me, I'll be in holodeck four. <laughs> uh, 
Now, I'm not a Niner, but I understand that Deep Space Nine was a little bit more honest about that that's what the oh, holosuites are used yeah. for a lot. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. It was so, so blatant. Yeah, you know, it's funny because we, we talked about, like, this string of great episodes, and we kind of we kind of glossed over uh, Cause and Effect and oh, First yeah. Duty, sure. which both come after The Outcast, but then you get The Cost of Living, The Perfect Mate, and Imaginary Friend, which are not good. <laughs> I, I skipped Imaginary... So it's like... I skipped imaginary you have, friend. You have a few like stinkers there. Uh, which which uh, whichever one was the second episode of of Troy falling in love with whoever it is on their latest planet? I skipped that episode. Um, yeah. But yeah, cause and effect. Such that's the one where they get stuck in a time loop. That's such a great episode. Worth noting. Um, nowadays, people kind of dismiss that episode as derivative of Groundhog Day. This episode was actually written and released before Groundhog Day. Yeah, it sure was. And I think it's a great episode. I, I would probably put the, I, I this wouldn't make my top 10, but it would probably make my top 15. I really like it. I would, I would even put up there a top 10. It's uh, very well done, directed by Jonathan Frakes. A, a bit of trivia that, that I love about the episode is that when Frakes was tapped to direct this episode, he was very specifically told he could not reuse any shots. Yeah. Which would have been very easy to do since it's a time loop episode. Um, Which is funny, he did, you know how he got around it for a couple of scenes? Mm. He used multiple cameras. Multi-camera, yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, which was, you know, generally for, like, television dramas, it's it's a single camera show. Um, and so he got, he got around it by, yeah, doing, uh, staging multi-cam shots, which is great, uh, because it allowed him to reuse the footage just for a different angle. <laughs> yeah, so that was, uh, yeah, but yeah, such a great episode. Uh, let's see. I skipped over imaginary friend. I skipped over Iborg. I know. I know that's a great. Oh man, yeah, Iborg is great. I just. I don't know. I just wasn't in the mood for it. I'll go back later. Also, I know uh, uh, Hugh. I know what happens to his character later on because uh, mm. they come back and in they Picard, revisit. Yeah. yeah, they revisit that character in Picard. The next phase. Any anything with a transporter mishap, I'm there. Yeah. I like this episode a lot, actually. In fact, I can remember watching it when I was young. And again, I, much like you, if, if, if Ensign Rowe was in it, I was there, you know. And not just because she was attractive, but because I just I thought the character was so incredibly intriguing. Um, and uh, I think it's just a great episode for her. It's a great episode for Jordy. It's, uh, it, it ends up being, you know, kind of a lot of fun. And I, I love the episodes in Next Gen, um, you know, that take a look at a kind of what would happen if, if a, you know, a character wasn't there anymore, if a character was changed or, you know, and, and I think that this episode just does a really great job of like kind of, you know, giving you a, a somewhat of an answer to the question of like, what would it be like to attend your own funeral? You know, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> uh, what is it? Uh, I think if I remember this correctly, uh, I read a piece of trivia that originally it was written or they had in mind, it was going to be uh, Jordy and Troy. Oh, okay. But then they, yeah, but then they switched in row. So yeah, that's more interesting. Inner Light, one of the most beautiful episodes. Definitely in my top ten, if not my top five. I skipped it this time. I just was not emotionally sure. ready for it. Did you know, here's a piece of trivia, that the Resican flute that they used in the episode uh, was sold at auction at Christie's, and they anticipated the flute going for, well, one of the flutes. There were multiple flutes, but one of the flutes. They anticipated it going for around $2,000. It sold for over $40,000. I did know that, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, Time Zero, the two-parter. 
Yeah. Um, and that's Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens. Yeah. That was James Harden. Yeah, James Harden. played uh, Deep Throat in X-Files, yeah. And he was also, uh, he was ultimately the big bad in Roberto. The Quan- that's right. Yeah, that's right. The Quantum yeah. Leap episode. And um, I just read a piece of trivia today. Like, they had, their ambition for that episode was much less because of, what it, than what it turned out to be because of budget restrictions. Originally, they were going to have the crew back in San Francisco for several months. I mean, they mm. were going to show it, but they were going to span it several months. And somehow Picard gets trapped back there, and he opens a, a a restaurant, a diner or something, and the running joke is, is how bad the food is. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny. I, I didn't know that last, but I don't think. But I did know that, the, yeah, that originally they were supposed to be there longer. And I personally think that it, that the episode would have been better if they had been there a little bit longer. Yeah. I feel like things happen a little too quickly. Um yeah, but, but uh, man, I'll just never forget, you know, watching part one of that episode and, and yeah, just being really, really intrigued by it. And I feel like, as happens, frankly, with a lot of two-parters, honestly, in Next Gen, I do think the second part is a little, little, little bit of a letdown. Sure, yeah. yeah. It's, a little, it's, it's a little thin. It's yeah. a little thin. Um, when I found it about the first part, and this is like one of those things where, like, I understand why they're doing it because, you know, the characters are exploring, you know, a very human emotion, but it seems like 400 years from now would be a little bit beyond that is how everybody (laughs) is how everybody responds to knowing that data is going to die at some point in the future because they find his head and how everybody starts Mm -hmm. getting awkward around data. I mean, it's fun. It's good television. Right. But also at the same time, you would think people would have a much more advanced idea or. Uh, a more advanced way of dealing with the idea of death. Right. Then, you know? Right. It, well, and you know, it's funny too, because going back to what you were saying about the non-binary character in Discovery, for instance, it's one of those things where, yeah, you, you, you look at Discovery basically being, you know, a prequel and, you know, you would think that a, by the time Discovery rolls around, that that would not be something so out of the norm, but especially with the shows that followed later, it would, you know, it would certainly not be anywhere out of the norm. And, and, and you look at the way an episode like Outcast is approached by the characters, uh, you know, within, uh, uh, the Federation, for instance, or, you know, you look at the way that some of these things are treated throughout the course of the series and it ends up being, you know, a testament to the fact that the shows, regardless of how progressive they are, no matter, you know, how far outside the box, some of the writers try to think that they are ultimately very reflective of the times in which they are created. Mm. Um, I mean, look at the original series for God's sake. (laughs) I just, I just, I just, I'm just not used to the idea of a woman on my bridge. (laughs) <laughs> not which is a line from yeah. the pilot the original pilot yeah as i guess most of our listeners probably know but anyway we are not a star trek po- what are we we don't know what we are yeah, we, anyway. we are right now. we are right now <laughs> yeah um and i love you know this is the thing you know you you've talked about the great reset button at the end of old classic trek uh time zero part two ends data's head is 500 years old it's his head but it's 500 years old Never again addressed in the show. Yeah. You know, it's funny, though, that you, you mentioned, I'm glad you mentioned that, because uh, there are a, um, a number of sort of, you know, theorists and scientists who uh, have addressed this episode in particular when it comes to the, you know, the time travel ramifications of the episode and give it high marks for, you know, having 
you know, no paradoxes for, you know, for, for not, ha- you know, for, for really examining kind of the, the causal loops, etc. within the episode and doing, handling it very, very well, um, which, you know, I think is really, really interesting uh, because obviously it's not always something that can be said for Star Trek when it comes to time travel, uh, you know, and, and it comes to kind of like the weight of some of the things like cause and effect is a great example of that. Um, not that cause and effect is not a good time travel episode. It is. But when you think about it, like all of these characters that we know and love are in essence, they're dead. Like they're dying, you know, multiple times. It is. And, and I, 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 I can't remember if I put it on the podcast. I put it on my Facebook page after I rewatched cause and effect a few years ago. What visceral deep down psychological effect does it have on you to explode? 17 times. Right? I mean, if you start having deja vu after the first few times, that that trauma lives somewhere deep down in your bones. Yeah. There were some nightmares. It, well, and, and I mean, you think about, like, the way that... I, I think, honestly, Cause and Effect is probably one of my favorite Crusher episodes mm-hmm. in particular because, like, she, she gets a lot to do within the context of the episode and, and especially early on... Uh, the way that she, you know, handles some of that stuff is, it, it you know, again, I, I do, I, I genuinely think it's probably some of Gates McFadden's best work on the show. Um, uh, and she's the one that I feel like we, we get the most uh, from psychologically. Like, obviously, they're all having some issues here or there. Jordy's having some issues, you know, et cetera. But, you know, she's the one that I feel like does kind of give us the most depth mm-hmm. as far as it is explored within the episode. Yeah. That, uh, remember me? That was the one where she gets caught in the warp bubble. Mm-hmm. Not the one where she has sex with the, with the, the space ghost. The ghost? Yeah. yeah. No. Season seven. That's what I want to say. Uh, four, five, and six were, were wonderful seasons of Next Generation. Seven is good, but it kind of became clear. I know that they canceled it at the height of its popularity, at the height of its you know, thing, and they really they canceled it to make way more for DS9 and Voyager. I still think it was maybe a good decision. Yeah. It was starting to wear a little bit by, by the end of season seven. I mean, and there, you know, there, like you said, there are still some really good episodes in season seven and, and I, yeah, but ultimately, yeah, it was time. It was time. (laughs) It was time. Yeah. Yeah. Get out there. Um, and so, yeah, right now that's where I've stopped. Uh, time zero. Uh, I may make my way through season six uh, a little bit more. One of my one of my favorites. It's it's not well executed. I love the idea of it. Is second chances. Mm. That's the 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 Will Riker doppelganger. Yeah. One. Yeah. Thomas Riker. Yeah. yeah. Who? Yeah. I I like that one a lot, and I you know the, I like that character a lot. I like the way that the character was explored in DS Nine a little bit as well. Uh, you know, I'm somebody who's read some of the the spinoff novels and that sort of stuff, and I always have felt like that character they really kind of missed the boat on because they didn't they didn't explore him I think as much as they could have in the novels. He gets like some cursory mentions here or there. And I always thought like, wouldn't it have been cool to get a little, you know, get a little Thomas Riker, uh, action going on. Uh, but uh, alas, it, it doesn't really happen. Sure. Um, yeah. And I think it's like what, what always bugs me. And again, it's early nineties. It's television. It's not like they much they could do. It's like, it bugs me that they look exactly the same. 
you know? <laughs> sure, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, uh, Riker is still fit, but by the later seasons, like, he's got that... He's got that Star Trek comfort. He's got that Star Starship comfortable look. You know what I mean? Yeah, right, he, you right, know right. he's put on. No, a, hey, yeah, he's, Shatner. Shatner had it in season three of uh, of the original series yeah. too. So. so yeah, you know he's uh, you know he's put on some weight from from season one, season two. So I would have liked to have seen like more like season one, season two Riker, maybe with some longer hair, a little bit more clean shaven. Uh, you know, because he was on that you know that whatever that space station and that the whatever for eight years. I'm sure like food was was a little bit slim you know what i mean like he was he was fighting more he would have been a little bit more slim it would have been interesting if it really kind of felt thomas Riker came to the enterprise and troy had to deal with that how she felt about that you know what i mean yeah yeah that would have been more interesting but you know it's tv what are you know what are they gonna do uh they can't take four months off so you know, he could lose all the weight, like to do with like Tom Hanks and Castaway or something. Um, now, a thing about this, and you probably know this because you're talking about exploring him more. You probably know what their original um, dream shoot the moon goal for Thomas Riker was. Yeah, wasn't it to basically have Will bite it and Thomas yeah. to take over? They like, were, yeah, yeah, they were going to kill off Will and basically do a soft reboot of the character. Yeah, that would have been interesting. It would have been very interesting because the thing, the thing that we see throughout the course of the episode, and you know, he has to kind of become the bad guy, obviously, for the episode to work in that, you know, sure. that 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 Star Trek way. But there are moments in the episode where, you know, he comes across as a very uh, different person. And in some ways, that's not a bad thing. It's kind of a good thing. Like, he's he's just a, he's a much more vulnerable and available human yep. uh, than, than Riker is sometimes. Yep. Um, and you know, and he's there. You know, to Riker's, check. Riker's an emotional character. There's no sure. doubt about that. But I just think that yeah, I think there's a vulnerability that Thomas has that that Will doesn't necessarily have. Absolutely. And we're also at, we're at that point in the series where it's been questioned more than once of like why why is Riker still on the Enterprise? Why is he still playing second fiddle? And I like I, if I remember correctly, uh, Thomas calls him out on that. Yeah. Like why are you still here? Uh, I like it, but again, any any transporter mishap episode. I am there. Um, <laughs> and, but the thing, like, I'm learning right now. I love New Trek. I love Picard. I love Discovery, whatever. Yeah. But the thing is, there is something about the episodic nature of the original Trek that I oh, love. Oh, yeah. That you can just drop right in. You don't need to hold, you, you don't need to hold the whole story. Ongoing storylines, but on the whole, every episode, it's its own contained story. It's a nice little metaphor for something, and you can just walk away, and at the end, you got the great reset button that, you know, you you don't deal with the drama of Worf learning how to walk again. You right, know? right. Or Data dealing with the fact that his head is 500 years old. Well, you know, which obviously like some of that stuff can be very interesting. And we have seen shows like, you know, like a Battlestar Galactica, for instance, that, you know, did such a wonderful job of serialized storytelling. And, you know, you mentioned like the learn how to walk again thing. Like when 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 a character suffers a physical 
uh, you know, impairment of any kind, like it lasts, you know, like when Starbuck, uh, uh, you know, breaks her foot or, or, you know, or her leg or whatever, like she's in a cast for a while and then she has a cane for a couple of episodes and then, you know what I mean? Like it's like, there was, there's a stretch of like four or five episodes in a row there where it's like, she's continuing to kind of rehab from this. And, uh, you know, when Apollo puts on all the weight, like, you know, you, you see him, you know, losing it over the course of a few episodes and stuff. And, and so I, I think that there's something to be said for that kind of storytelling, and, and it's certainly something that we're more accustomed to today, but I agree with you completely. Um, there is a reason why if something is a, you know, if it's a great show, like we'll go back to it. It's the, it's the reason why I love going back to Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone is the same way. You know, I'm going to get 27 minutes uh, of a story start to finish. I don't need to know anything else other than what I'm watching for those 27 minutes. And, and it's, you know, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Are you recording in an increasingly dark room? Hi, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, the thing is, I forgot to turn the light on before I sat down. And, and we I just thought got about to... turning my ring light on. Sure. And I was just like, eh. And yeah, you know. No, this is good. I was just like, is this my monitor or what's going on? No. Uh, you can barely see me now. <laughs> no, yeah. And I'm not much better. Like, I just got like a little light coming in over the kitchen. But anyway. Um <laughs> But yeah, those that that's great, wonderful points, and it's a thing like, and I've said before, like as I as I get older, I just appreciate that more. Just drop in, watch the thing. It's not a big, huge commitment. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. So the other thing that Jess and I have been watching recently is we decided to watch some Friends because the uh, you know that reunion special that they're doing on HBO Max is on thir- this coming Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, which is also happens to be my birthday. Uh, and I am, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be fun. And so we've been rewatching some Friends episodes. And the thing is, is that for the most part, especially those early seasons, they're very much just drop in and watch an episode. And I can't even say that about our other kind of comfort food shows like The Office or How I Met Your Mother or something like that, because it's like those episodes had a lot of serialized storytelling and mm-hmm. a lot of things that carried over from episode to episode. Um, you know, yes, there's definitely firm kind of standalone episodes, but you get to certain points, you know, in the office or how I met your mother. And it's basically like, you, you might as well be watching a soap opera. <laughs> is it? Yeah, that is true. Oh, the friends reunion. I have no interest. I'm interested to see how people react to it. I just have no interest in the, in the friends reunion itself it's gonna be interesting you know it's clearly is it an actual like uh, like a story like are they in character or is it just like an interview show like a clip show it 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 is it looks as though there is an interview portion uh i think with james corden um and then there are also uh apparently parts of the reunion that would just be the six of them on the set, um, you know, hanging out, playing games, talking, you know, it doesn't seem as though there's anything in character. Uh, and it, but it also doesn't look like it's going to be any sort of like clip show, like, Oh, remember that, you know, that one episode. And then, you know, we see like a 30 second clip and then they come back and talk about it. It it definitely doesn't seem like that type of thing at all. I got you. You know what it kind of reminds me of? It kind of reminds me of the tonight show after the final episode of cheers. I, do you remember that? No. Oh dude. Okay. So that was one of the funniest things I saw when I was a kid. I remember I stayed up late for it and, and I, you know, watching the final episode of cheers, I 
there are, you know, there are kind of perfect moments in television history. One of the most perfect moments in television history, as far as I'm concerned, is Sam Malone's I'm Sorry, We're Closed, yeah. and that being the end of the series. Yeah. I, I just think it's so perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, as soon as that happens, we segue into a you know, kind of a raucous, like, you know, post-show, tonight show. Uh, it live. It was live. That was the other thing that was crazy about it. And Ted Danson was hammered and it was lovely (laughs) like he is absolutely just hammered and 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 like Whoopi Goldberg is there because I think that they were dating at that time um and uh yeah that's right people everyone forgot about the fact that Ted Danson and Whoopi Goldberg dated for a minute I forgot about that (laughs) but like uh it was just it was so yeah it was so funny to see you know, these guys, but in particular, the thing that stands out is Ted Danson being just hammered out of his mind. And here I am like, you know, a 12 year old kid or whatever, watching this and just tickled to see this guy, you know, enjoying himself. So (laughs) there is, I I know. Yeah. There is still something like when you, even now, like even not being a 12 year old kid, like when you see someone on TV, like in a live thing, like, Oh, they're kind of, are they hammered? Are they high? There's like, yeah, you do get, you know, there's a little 12 year old boy and you're like, ah, that's, you know, as long as it's not a sad thing. As long right. as it's not, you know, David Hasselhoff's daughter filming him while he's having a meltdown oh. and he's like on the floor eating cheeseburgers, you know, as long as it's not one of those things. God. I remember that so <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, um, uh, yeah, another thing, bring it back around to Star Trek and then maybe we should start wrapping this up. A thing yep. that, that I forget, and I just read this bit of trivia from Time Zero, is that typically Guinan, when she appeared in episodes, her part was so small because usually Whoopi Goldberg only had like a day to give. I forget yeah. like how much of a movie star she was at that time. And it was kind of like to have like, you know, this, you know, movie star just just pop in the trek. Well, and I love her story. You know, I love the fact that for her she wanted so badly to be a part of that show because when she was a little girl, she remembered watching the original series and seeing Nichelle Nichols and being like, oh, like, she's on she's on the bridge of the Enterprise. Like, I can yep. be on the bridge of the Enterprise. You know, and for her, like, Star Trek was like destination TV. She had to watch it. So, like, even though, like you said, like, she was famous, she had an Academy Award, I think, at this point for Ghost. Like, you know, sure. for her, it was like, I no, I want to be on this show because this show is important to me. Um, and the character is lovely, you know, obviously, you know, and the relationship mm-hmm. she has with, you know, with the crew, Picard in particular, is lovely. And um, I think that this, you know, this episode, Time Zero, that you're talking about, I, like, uh, I do love the fact that it really kind of gives you a, a fuller picture of, you know, the fact that her race is extremely long-lived, you know, that she didn't become this kind of empathic, y- you know, sensitive, intelligent, wise human being, you know, just overnight, like that, that, you know, she's got some years, yeah. you know, and that's where a lot of this wisdom comes from. And, uh, it's really cool. Yeah. It's but, really cool. Yeah. Between that and her part in generations, which has some issues, but her part in generations is quite yeah. lovely. Did we just have a quiet moment, or did you lock up? I'd like to think we just shared a quiet moment. We just shared a quiet <laughs> moment. On it, like your your last little bit, you were kind of in and out, but I knew that you were recording, so I didn't want to interrupt and say anything. But, um, but yes, well, this has been a quite a lovely conversation. Yeah. 
I was going to say on a, yeah. on a Friday night, but it's a Monday night. That's all good. It is a Monday night. No, you know, I would love to do this again. I would love to, to know what, you know, what listeners think, uh, uh, you know, about kind of talking about things in more of a broader way like this. But, uh, yeah, I would love to talk a little bit more Star Trek for sure. And, uh, I think, yeah, again, I think season five is just, is, is some wonderful, wonderful stuff. And, um, but yeah, hit us, hit us listeners with what, uh, what is, what is your Star Trek comfort food? Yeah. What season do you gravitate to or series? I should say, look at me. I'm just assuming it's going to be next generation, but, uh, well, you know, the funny thing is, uh, like, Next Gen, I, like you said, I can go and I can watch any episode of Next Gen anytime I want to. Uh, if I watch DS9, I have to be watching it, like, in order. Yeah. Like, if I if I were to start DS9 right now, I would probably start at the beginning, just because it's been a while since I watched it. You know, I, I pro- there are some episodes that I might go directly to just because they're so incredible. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I I, I feel like... You know, next gen, I can really just drop in anywhere I want to. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Anytime I want to. Here, I'm going to throw this idea out to you for a future episode. Maybe not the next episode or a future episode. Uh, you know, I've been saying this since we started the podcast. Uh, source code. Oh, yeah. Source code is basically Actually. quantum leap on film. <laughs> after after four years, I'll finally watch it. <laughs> we should, uh, yeah, we should get around to that. Um I'm going to look for one more thing here, and I may ask you to edit this bit out while I while I take a look here. But it was such a good comment. I want to. Uh, um, uh, well, while you do that, actually, I'll talk about something else real quick. Sure. There were a couple of episodes in season five that I just wanted to give a nod to. You know, not talk about in depth or anything, but uh, that we didn't get the chance to really cover. But you know, you you mentioned unification, obviously, and and it's an incredible moment in the history of Star Trek to have. Leonard Nimoy as, as a part of the next generation and I think kind of really you know has has especially since the new films the J.J. Abrams films came out um, has allowed Leonard Nimoy and Spock in particular to be such an incredible part uh, of the history of the show and the franchise and, and, and really in some ways represent the very best of the franchise more so than any of the captains or any of the other characters. And, uh, I think it was just a remarkable moment. And I can remember, you know, I remember when those episodes aired and how big of a deal it was. And my grandfather, you know, who, who loved Star Trek and had watched the original series was just all about it. You know, he wanted to see Spock in, you know, in the next generation and see what they were going to do. So, sure. Um, I, you know, yeah, an important episode. Yeah. I didn't mention it, but, uh, I did. The last one I watched was relics, which is the one with Scotty mm, in there. Yeah. And, um, I hadn't thought about it, but, you know, to your point of like seeing like, you know, the original characters in the show for the first four years, they were really hesitant to do that with next generation because they really wanted to make their own show. They didn't want to have. Yeah. They didn't want to have to lean on the old series. And then after Spock, they felt like, okay, we have enough of a following. We have a fan base. We've earned it. And they started feeling a lot more free to bring in. Uh, right, which is interesting because you do get DeForest Kelly with his cameo in, in the pilot. Yeah, um, you know, as, as McCoy. Um, the other episode that I wanted to mention real quick in Scenes Five is the first duty. Um, oh yes, yeah. Which, uh, yeah, I love that episode. Uh, you know, it's 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 Crusher Wesley Crusher centric. Um, yeah, you know, there are obviously some Wesley Crusher haters out there, but I was never one of them. I, you know, in the in the very early seasons, can he be a little bit annoying, especially in the first season? Yeah, but that's most.
mostly on the writers, not on Will Wheaton. Uh, I, I think as the show went on, like episodes like The Game and The First Duty, for instance, are just... They're great episodes, and mm-hmm. he's great in them, and, and I love the character in them. And I think that that episode, uh, it, it's a, just a really good episode mm-hmm. across the board. It is. Um, you know, and, and of course you get Ray Walston as Boothby, so. Uh, but yeah, I, I, that's another one of my favorite episodes of season five, actually. Yeah. Uh, so here it is. Uh, Clara Barton Green, she commented in our uh, Facebook group. Um, she thought it would be interesting if we were doing an examination of how shows like Quantum Leap opened the door for more ambitious TV series in the 90s, like The X-Files, mm. so on and so forth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That would be an interesting little thing to study up on. Yeah, and read yeah up it on really about. would. Um, I was a fan of a lot of those ambitious shows in the 90s, and they didn't, they didn't last or they got bungled in some way. Sliders. Like Dark Skies. Dark, oh, oh, yeah, sliders, yeah. Sliders, Sequest. Um, yeah. VR5. Remember VR five? I do, I do. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's the other one I'm thinking about right now? Uh, Space Above and Beyond. That one. That was yeah. The other one that was really good. Uh, yeah. Mantis. Yeah. Uh, did we talk yeah. about that? Yeah, we, yeah, we talked about it with like yeah, yeah. Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah. Um, we talked about Carl Lumley. Yeah. It took a while, but we got there eventually. Yeah, for sure, and 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 of course, you know, another. Uh, I mean, one of the most ambitious shows of the '90s would have to be Babylon Five. Oh, which, God, by God. the way, I don't know if we've had a chance to mention this. Babylon Five is available on HBO Max in a remastered format, and it looks fantastic. Mm. Um, you know, it's not it's not like the full remaster that like something like Next Gen got or something like that, but it is without a doubt the best the show has has you know ever looked, and uh, um, it's you know it's a great way to be able to watch the series. Um, from start to finish, and you know, it's still to this day, like man, I I I I can think of few shows that have probably meant more to me in in a weird way than that show, just because it was it was very revolutionary for its time, and and in particular for me at that time in my life, watching something like that, a story that was told in that way, and getting so wrapped up in it, it was you know, it was something that I was just so into. Hmm. I will. I remember seeing bits and pieces of it. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, maybe that's it's it, worth it. Yeah, you know, and there are people that will say stuff like, you know, oh, skip around in season one. You know, it's a little weak, blah blah blah, whatever. But I'm, you know, I think that it, it, it's it's the show is good enough that I have no problem saying, you know what, stick with it, warts and all. You'll 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 be better for it. You know, by the time you get to the really 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 good stuff, like in season three, season four yeah, you'll have such a great foundation from season one when maybe they didn't know exactly what they were doing, but they were still telling a story. They were still giving, you know, hints and mm-hmm. planting, you know, breadcrumbs. It, it, it's, it's worth, it's worth seeing it all at least once, hmm. you know, I'll try to go check it out. But on that yeah. note, we have kids and homes to get ready to sell and homes to get ready to stage for money that I'm not making. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go to the holodeck. You go, yeah. I'm going to go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sam and Dennis at the mic. Arms oh, wide open. Hey, right. man, this is great. Thanks for suggesting it. No problem. No problem. All Had right. Fun. Yeah, we'll see you uh, listeners next time for uh, whatever we're talking about next. Yeah. All right. Maybe it'll be source code. Maybe it'll be more Star Trek. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Take care, y'all. Take care, everybody. Bye.
Can't see, you'll never know. 